definition of, of a city. And we're going to look at the Greek word called polis. And this is what they say in, in one of the Greek dictionaries that I looked up. It says, the familiar Greek noun polis means city and survives in the English words such as politics, policy, police, but most importantly, polite, which is a, a, world like, a word like civilized, which shares its root with the noun city. A city is not primarily about its buildings, but about the unusual density of people who have found a way to live together without acting on their natural urges to be aggressive and territorial. That means that a city, in essence, describes a code of conduct that governs a city life and makes city life possible. That means that a polis is defined as a society held together by a common law. So we want to look at this definition and we want to see how we as a church can impact the city. So it's not only a city, it's also towns, groupings of people that have decided to live together. And then a key verse for, for this morning is found in Revelations 17 verse 14. It says, they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called and chosen, chosen and faithful. I love that. It's, it's the John hearing this from the angel, the angel saying, they will make war on the Lamb, but He will conquer them. And it's almost like to say, obviously He will conquer them, because he is the Lord of lords and the, kings, and the king of kings. And then he says, and those with him are the ones who are called, chosen, and the faithful. So he's speaking about us. So there's a war that's going on. And Jesus eventually, if we read the last chapter in the Bible, we'll understand that Jesus eventually conquers and he's calling us to be with him. That's why the word for church in Greek is ecclesia, which mean, means called out ones. So God is constantly, there's this invitation. Hey, come along, come along, come along on this adventure, this journey, but also this work, this assignment that I've given you to conquer with me, to be co-workers and co-laborers. So now we need to look at, a little at the, at the context here of, of this scripture, my dad's in the house. He's a Dominic, so he's uh, well-versed in the scriptures. So I cannot preach any heresy today. So let's look at the, at the context here. So it speaks of they. Who are they? So we know, in essence, it means evil, the evil powers. But specifically in this chapter, it refers to something else or to a, a different evil power. In verse 12, it says, And then, and the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. So it talks of ten horns representing ten kings. So, Often when we talk about Revelation, when we read Revelation, we are tempted to get to 
simplified conclusions. We are too simplistic in the way that we interpret the scriptures. And what we want to do is we want to point towards 10 kings. We want to look at, is this now Putin? Is this now Ukraine? Is this now the person down the road? Is this your mother-in-law? Who is this? So let's not be led into that temptation today. Because what we want to do is we want to look at scripture and specifically at Revelation. And we're going to draw out some principles that we want to apply in our day and age. Because if you read church history, there's every, it's almost every year, every decade, there's a theologian, a clever guy, a prophet that says, these are the ten kings. This is the beast. This is the mark of the beast. And now we know, looking back, it wasn't that person or that king. Maybe it represented that evil power, but it didn't play out as that prophet said or that theologian said. So let's not get into too simplistic interpretations when we read now through this. Okay, so it speaks of ten horns representing ten kings, and the clever people say that ten is the number of, of, of fullness, of complete, so it speaks of kings that will gather together, lots of kings that will gather together and with the beast, also representing a king, a power, authority, and they will then war against Jesus and against his people. And then, if we look at the they, they then have a connection with a city. And this is where we want to get to. So these evil powers have a connection with the city. It says in Revelation 17 verse 3, so we're still in the same chapter. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. So that's where the, the beast comes from, that's where the ten horn, horns come from. And then verse 18 it says, And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So the they that we with Jesus will conquer has something to do with the city because they are the enabler of this very evil city called Babylon. And again, this is not specifically only Babylon that the writer is referring to or the angel is referring to, but it represents something that we need to understand, a, a power, a way of living that will eventually war against Jesus and is probably already warring against Jesus. Okay, so you are still with me. And now look at who the city is. So in Revelations 18, this angel appears and he starts singing about the, the greatness of Babylon, but also how Babylon is now a fallen city because Jesus is the conqueror. So he says, 18 verse 2 and 3, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean birth, 
a horn for every unclean and detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So this city was a great city. It had massive influence. So it, it represents the system of the day. And then we go into Revelation 17 again, and we look at the different things that are said about Babylon. Babylon is represented by this lady, this woman, and she's arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, holding a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. She is drunk with the blood of the saints martyrs of Jesus. It's, it's gory detail, but this is what's happening in the spirit. We want to take the church and we want to bring them into the spirit reality so that we have more practical value on earth. So that we understand that the fight that we're fighting is not against your neighbor. It's not against your husband. It's not against that teacher. It's not against your boss. But there's a war going on and we are called out. We are called into this community of believers, actually an army where Jesus is the leader, the commander of the army, and we need to understand what's happening. Her name, Babylon the Great. Her name is Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Okay, so you don't want to call your young girl Babylon. No way. And if you read on, it's, it's interesting in how many detail the angel describes this city. So now think of city being a polis. So it's talking about the way that people are being governed in a dense populated area. And God's saying, hey, there's something wrong here. And what we want to do is... We want to fix that. We want to understand there's a, a, a spiritual significance or spiritual being behind that, and we shouldn't succumb to those powers and those authorities. But now the good news, the city of God. So on the one end, we have Babylon, and then we have Valkomila. Yelizizo. Ik denk jullie is gelijk. Jullie het gelijk. Yes. En ik was geen. En mama wat zo kan hartelijk is uitstekend. Love it. And so here's the good news. So that's the picture of, of a city governed by the evil one, governed by Satan himself. And here's a picture of the city of God that we will all be led into by Jesus Christ himself. But it's also a prophetic picture that we can draw on when we think of impacting our communities that we live in. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 22. For the first heaven and the first earth as had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven 
from God prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. Massive statement. The dwelling place of God is with man because that's God's desire. He wants to be with us. He wants to, he wants to be in our city, the area that we, we live in. He wants to be there. Whether it's Grootbrak, Oudsjoring, George, Kingswood, Tembeleto, he wants to be there in your house, in your living room, in your kitchen, everywhere, in your dorm. He wants to be there. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Sounds like a great city. And then verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So John receives this revelation from the angel saying, this is where I'm taking you towards. And I, I believe we can be that prophetic people that, that draws on that, that says, hey, this is the picture. This is where God's taking us. So let's use this and let's look at the value system of the city of God and let's pull it into our sphere of influence, into your home, into your area of living, into your business. The first point that he's making that's so profound, he's saying, Listen here, this is God's dwelling place. He wants to be welcomed. The song that we sang so beautifully, it says, God is welcomed here. I think for so long the church has looked at, hey, where is God? I'm going to move myself there. And there's nothing wrong with it. That's why you came to church this morning, hopefully, because you were expectant for God to be here with us during worship. But I think God is challenging us to say, hey, I want you to welcome God in your life. First of all, you are his abode. You are his home. He lives on the inside of you. So you can take him wherever you go. So that means that you bring your family around the dinner table. And yes, it's not perfect. There's maybe not even knives and forks. The other day I was looking at a little arm. I'm like, hey. Don't you know how to eat with a knife? Because he's just with his fork the whole time. He's like, hey, Dad, it's so much easier just with a fork. The table manners is out, out of the window. But what I know is that God's welcomed in our home. Because Cornell and I, the leadership of the home, we've decided that God is welcomed. We treat our home as a city. He is welcomed. 
Therefore, you can welcome him into your business, into your hobbies. We are cycling, but I just found it's one of the easiest ways to meet with people. Up Montague Pass. Hey, what's your relationship with your wife like? Tell me a little more. <laughs> are you going to heaven or hell? <laughs> The, the opportunities are all over the place. If we get this, the called out ones understand that it's this is, yes, it's great. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Worship, fantastic. But if we take what we have and start building the city of God, the polis, where everything we do are governed by the truth, of God. And there's so much more to say here about the city. Also understand that we need to take away all the things that are detestable. So it says here, but as for the cowardly, so what is cowardness speaking of? It speaks of fear. Remove fear, anxiety from your home. Are you fear driven? How do you allow for your kids? What's the atmosphere that you create? The faithless. No, we're not faithless. We speak in faith. Yes, we speak about the reality and understand this is where we're at, but we're going to speak in faith. God is moving. He's about to do something. Whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your finances, God wants to do something, but you have to apply faith. The detestable things. What is detestable? It's not difficult to discern. You don't need the gift of of discernment and three anointings and this person must pray for you to know what's detestable. We know what is detestable. For murderers, bloodshed, sexually immoral. And it's interesting if you read about Babylon and the end times, you'll find often that God uses or used language about these beings, whether it's the beast or the prostitutes, they would then tempt us, seduce us, and then they would use the words into sexual immorality. And I think that's why the devil is going after our youth. That's why he's going after sexuality. That's why he's going after our identity. Because he knows if he can pervert that, he can get us to play on his side. So I've just in the last while, and, and some of the young people know this, because I've been on their case. Listen here, we love relationships. Get into romantic relationships. Get into, into a relationship with somebody that has the same values system as you. Somebody that loves Jesus more than he loves you. But then also, we're going to keep you accountable. We're going to ask those difficult questions. We're going to say, hey, listen here, maybe you should apply this rule. Do not sleep in the same tent if you go camping and you're not married. It's a great rule. Everybody says, oh, man. But if you're married, you have to sleep in the same tent. That's the weird thing of being a pastor. Hey, listen, you're not allowed to have, 
have sex before marriage. You're not allowed to have sex before marriage. And the moment they get married, you're not allowed to have not sex. You're not allowed to have not sex. <laughs> Sometimes I'm confused. But there's something there. Let's, let's get our intercessors around this and let's pray. Sorcerers. Talking about witchcraft and things that we hold on to that's, that's influenced by spirits. Idolaters. In other words, what is the idol in your life? Let's remove that. Liars. Just speak the truth. Always the truth. Even when you do your e-filing. The truth. It's so important. The truth. When you speak to your wife, it's the truth that matters. So in summary, about the cities... The devil loves cities, the polis. He loves it. Because people are gathered there. And he cannot get to God because he's on a lower level of authority than God. But he can get to people and through people he can get to God. And then secondly, God loves cities. And his love for cities is greater and more powerful then the devil's love for cities and his power over people. When we meet with Jesus, it changes everything and it places us into a level of authority where we can trample on the devil's works, whether it's in our municipality, in your business, in your family, in your household, your school. We can trample on his works because his love He's always on a greater magnitude. His grace, His mercy, His kindness, His goodness. So we think it's evil on this level and then God comes in with good on this level. No, God's good is over here. And He wants to trample the evil through us. So just a last couple of pointers on how to make it practical. God wants God wants us to co-work his resources, including to build cities. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Genesis 1.26 says, then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So that they may rule. And then verse 28 again. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Well done, O Kennedys. <laughs> and Gareas. Fill the earth and subdue it. So interesting is that filling the earth, it doesn't only mean that you need to get children. That's not the, the only kind of implied assignment here. But it's also to go everywhere. And for George, that's it's difficult. You don't want to move from the Southern Cape. Everybody's moving here. Last night I saw something. It says, George is full. Somebody made a meme, George is full. And then bottom the guy said, no, it's not full. It just means some of us, we need to leave. And we need to go and fill the earth. You need to go to Grootbrug. You need to go to Prince Albert. 
So God is, is giving us these abilities to, to find things, the things that he has hidden to build stuff. For me, always the greatest example is that if you think of sand, sand looks useless, but sand contains silica. Silica then will bring about silicon, and silicon is the key component within a transistor which builds, which is the key component in pieces, in everything that's digital these days. So it's just sand, and from sand, somebody saw, wow, we're going we're gonna to rule the earth with these sand. How much God placed in front of our eyes and we didn't see it? Then two, unity with man and God releases a supernatural blessing. So that means we need to be good with relationships. One of the key areas that we as a church need, need to be great at, it's relationships. And with relationships will come unity around a specific task. Genesis 11 says, it speaks of the Tower of Babel that's being built. And they, and they said to each other, come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So they, they're using what they've been given. They're implying their skills. They are making bricks. They're not, build, not buying them. They're making themselves. They're applying their skills, their creativity. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So God has placed in mankind this ability to tap into unity. And unity brings about a blessing. In Psalm 133, it speaks of the blessing that comes from unity. So if we together, if we decide we want to do this, even if it's evil, if we decide, we, we say, Lord, we are going to change George, and we decide it together, then God will come and he will see us and he will say this, and nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them, will be impossible for them. So therefore, unity is important to have with man, but also with God. What is God saying? How can I be obedient to what God's saying? So you need to hear from the Lord. As a community, we want to hear from the Lord. Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying about business in George? Lord, what are you saying about all these people just flocking into the Southern Cape? What are you saying? And how can we then apply what you have given us? And then there's a supernatural blessing that will will come from that because God says he commands a blessing where there's unity and then we need the power of God so Genesis 11 God came and he confused people gave them different languages in Acts 2 speaks of the power that will come when we receive the Holy Spirit and we see the Holy Spirit being poured out and what happens from different nations, people hear in their own language that God is glorified. So you can see how God from the old covenant moves into new covenant. The new covenant gives us the ability to 
Remove confusion. Babel, by the way, means confusion. To remove this Babylonian confusion because we now can speak to other people in their language through the Holy Spirit. He's He's taking us into the spiritual reality and say, listen, yeah, you think to connect with people you need this or you need, need that. But I'm telling you, I'm going to pour out your Holy Spirit, my Holy Spirit on you. You're going to receive power and you're going to be witnesses where? In George, in Otwaring, Southern Cape, the nations, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the nations. So God has given us these abilities to go work with him. He's calling us to go labor with him. And he says, hey, you must do it together with other people. There's a unity that I want, and then I'm going to pour out my blessing. And that blessing we see ultimately being fulfilled, and the epitome of this blessing is the Holy Spirit being poured out, because we see in Acts 2 that they were in unity. They were waiting on God. God spoke and he said, we must wait here, 120. Only 120 is needed. And the Holy Spirit came and they were filled with the, Holy, with the power of God. And we see that the acts of Jesus Christ was continued by the disciples. And number four, last chapter of the Bible. I love what Billy Graham said. He said, he doesn't know what's happening now, but he knows how it ends because he read the last chapter of the Bible. And I think it's a great perspective on life. Just in the last while, I've done two funerals and I was bombarded by the finality of earthly death. I cannot speak to this person anymore. I cannot touch him. I cannot respond. And then I need to remove myself because my, my flesh wants to take over. I'm like, hey, God, oh, I don't know how to handle this. It's difficult. And then you place yourself in the perspective of the Spirit. And you understand that this is just temporary. What you can see, this armor that you can touch, the armor that can cycle the armor that can kiss his, his little girl, love his wife, it's, it's temporary. But yeah, lives on the inside of who I am, my spirit being that will live for eternity. And this is true of you, but also of everybody that's around you. Everybody will live for eternity. And this is our greatest call. I love for us to start great businesses. I love for us... To, to build stuff, to make this the best region in South Africa, in the world. And I think there's a call of God on us to really go after these things. But we cannot forget the eternal perspective that we are here for souls. The person sitting next to you will live forever. And you have an opportunity to influence that soul with who you are, with your prayers, and bringing them into Jesus. So, last chapter in the Bible. Jesus saying, Behold, I'm coming soon. 
And I don't know how that works because he said this 2,000 years ago. I'm coming soon. But in my head, the only way that I can figure this out is he's coming soon for me because Armour, don't know if Armour's going to make 100 years. And that's soon. I don't know if, if Cornell, my kids, are going to make that soon. It's soon for all of us. Bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Other translations speaks of, of, of obedience. So that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Again, the city. This polis. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And then verse 17. The spirit, the bride, say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So our goal is to build this polis, to build the city, to build a sphere of influence so that we can say with the bride, with the church, we can say, come. Here's rest for your soul because we understand eternity. We understand who Jesus is. We understand what he did. There's healing, emotional healing. There's healing for your relationships. There's the breaking of strongholds. Demons can be cast out. Just come. Don't care where you're at. We're not going to resist the person coming. It's going to be difficult sometimes. Sometimes it's messy. But God says we must come. I want us to take communion together around this idea of, of building a polis. And then what we're doing is, because communion is reminding us of what Jesus did, of the price that he has paid for you and me but also for everybody around us. And we can access this. So one of the, the great things about of being a pastor is just to, to follow the thread, the golden thread, the, the blood-washed thread of, of people's stories and how they connect with other people and how people are then influenced by, by those stories. But we... We have a, I don't know if, if she's here, I haven't seen her, but she came to church because she saw somebody posting on social media that she's going to church. So now she arrives at church, she responds to the altar call, she comes forward and she doesn't know what to do because she's just flabbergasted. She just knows she needs to be in the front. She couldn't pray a prayer, she runs out after the service. Fortunately, later on, she comes to Ken Makar, and then Arthur leads her to Jesus. 
And then a week from that, she gets baptized because she understands that's what she must do because her friend that posted this thing on social media, hey, talked to her about her baptism or she saw the baptism. Can you see how we can use everything that we have just to say, come, come, hurt, bring your hurt, bring your brokenness, just come. Come. 